It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. I thought, Doug and Linda, that since we are Certified Financial Planners doing comprehensive financial planning, that we would um, give some ideas of some frequently asked questions regarding financial planning. Yeah, a lot of people confuse what we do with uh, plain investment programs. But no, we do comprehensive financial planning, which covers much, much more than investments. However, you may have investment questions like, should you be in stocks, bonds, REITs, mutual funds, ETFs, or how should your 401k be positioned based on your available investment choices? Or how do you roll over your 401k or 403b or other retirement plan and where should you put it? Or how should your overall portfolio be balanced? How much in stocks or bonds or REITs or mutual funds? What investment vehicles should you currently be invested in based on your current age, risk tolerance, retirement goals, etc.? Or how do you prepare for college funding with your investments? Or how do you prepare for financial independence? Or should you pick the annuity payout option from your pension at retirement or take the lump sum option? So those are investment type questions, but... We also have get a lot of cash flow questions. How should you invest any surplus money from your paycheck monthly? Or how do you create a budget? Or, what is the difference between your discretionary expenses, your non-discretionary expenses, and your regular monthly expenses? And we also cover questions about your insurance, like, how do you know if your insurance coverage is adequate, too much or too little? Or what type of insurance should you have? Or how much will your wife need to pay her monthly expenses if you die? What's the difference between term, whole life, universal, and second-to-die insurance? Do you need long-term care insurance? Do you need disability insurance? And of course, we also cover tax questions like, is there any way that you can avoid or reduce the alternative minimum tax, the AMT? Or can you use a charitable trust to sell real estate or investments tax-free? Are there any investment vehicles that can reduce your tax burden? Or should your business be a S-Corp, C-Corp, LLC, or sole proprietorship? Are you paying enough or too much in quarterly taxes? And lastly, we do answer estate questions like, do you need a revocable living trust and a credit shelter trust? Do you have a will? How can you reduce your estate tax liability? And what about probate costs? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. 
there's a very interesting scenario that uh, I would like to talk about All in right. estate and tax planning. Go ahead. Well, some folks do accumulate, and let's review a case study. Okay. So, um, let's review the Martha Cole case study. Oh, that's a good one. Martha Cole, who was 85 and a widow, and her late husband, Frank, who had worked very hard, but they had lived very modestly, had produced um, a situation where now Martha's assets included an IRA valued at a million dollars. And a securities portfolio that was after tax, a personal portfolio, valued at $2.5 million. Martha's sole heir was her three-time married, <laughs> thrice-married daughter, Jane, who was currently age 65. And Martha was concerned about Jane and her third husband's ability to preserve their inheritance if they had ready access to the IRA balance after Martha's death. All right. So let's look at the facts. Okay. What are the facts? Uh, Martha's 85. She's a widow. And over her lifetime, she and her husband accumulated an IRA that is worth a million dollars. And then she had a personal portfolio of two and a half million. And of course, just one heir, her daughter, who was 65 and who had been married three times. How old's the daughter? 65. Okay. All right. So I guess our, our, our next point should be, well, what was Martha's goal? Well, Martha's goal is to... I guess just simply to provide Jane with an income stream for life. Exactly. Allow whatever, you know, that she has owned to go to her daughter Jane to provide cash flow to Jane at her death. But she's concerned about some things. And what she's concerned about is that Jane might spend it all. Jane might get divorced. So we have to come up with a solution. Doug, what was our... Lewis Financial Management Solution. All right, so she had a million-dollar IRA. Is that what you said? She did. And her goal was to have that million-dollar IRA produce income to her only heir, uh-huh. who's Jane, who's 65, right. for her life. Well, of course, she's right away she's got these other concerns, uh, the fact that Jane's been married three times. Uh, she's also concerned about taxes. If she just gives the IRA to her daughter, then there's going to be about $460,000 of taxes on that million-dollar IRA. Right, right. Uh, If she dies, same problem, another $460,000 tax hit before the IRA goes to her daughter. So I would say what we will do is we will go ahead and design a CRT, a Charitable Remainder Trust for Jane as the beneficiary of the IRA. So we will change the beneficiary from Jane to a charitable trust for Jane. That's the first thing we will do. Okay. Then we will also... So you're saying that at Martha's death, the IRA is going to go to the charitable remainder trust... To pay Jane for her life. To pay the daughter Jane for Jane's life. That's right. Okay. Immediately, there's no tax. 
That wow. means save that $460,000 of taxes. The whole million right. dollar so IRA. the whole million dollar IRA is now available to pay out to her daughter, Jane. All right. But then we have this other question. It's going to pay out to Jane, but what keeps Jane from assigning part of that income that she's getting from life to our... Uh, her husband, or if she divorces, or if something happens, we're going to build a spendthrift trust onto that charitable trust that only lets income come out to Jane. Okay. So she doesn't have the principal to go ahead and assign to anybody else. All right. All right. Now, we have some assumptions here. I'm going to assume that the investments in the charitable trust are going to grow at 8%. And I'm going to assume that we put a 7% payout on that charitable trust to the daughter, Jane. What's going to happen there is very beautiful. Jane, over her lifetime, is going to get $1.3 million. And at Jane's death, about $1.2 million is going to go to... A charitable foundation. So you're saying that inside this charitable remainder trust will be enough income to over Jane, the daughter's lifetime, be able to pay her a million three hundred plus or minus, and still at the end of Jane's life, the daughter, there'll still be a remaining one 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 point one million to give away to charity. Or to put into a family foundation to benefit Jane's mother Martha for perpetual. Perpetuity. In her, in her name, and to yes. give her, that'd be wonderful. Yes. Okay, so... How do you like them apples? <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a very sophisticated strategy that experts can assist any folks that may be listening this evening that have appreciate, appreciated assets and have accumulated a million or more in IRAs, a million and more in... That's right, um, because this investment. scenario is not unusual. It's not partic- It's not particularly uh, special or unique. Many of us will accumulate a million dollar IRA and be able, to, and then at the by the end of our lives, and we'll have to name either one or many people as beneficiaries. We have a lot of listeners lot at that of, age that absolutely. Have, who have elderly children, and they're facing this huge problem. And many will be concerned with the recipient's ability to do more than just handle an income stream. So you solve a lot of problems by talking to Lewis Financial Management. If this is your scenario, give us a call. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Mark, are you there? Can you hear us? Yes. Hi, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Doug, I've got a question about, I guess, the population that is approaching or either has reached the age to be able to draw Social Security. Uh-huh. It seems like about every issue or edition of the Wall Street Journal and other financial magazines or uh, bulletins seem to include uh, some sort of opinion about putting that off. Uh, as long as you can, and getting eight percent a year, uh, and you know, have your uh, amount of your check go up by that much. Right, right. And it, you know, some of us may be fortunate enough to reach an advanced uh, older age, and you know, some may not. Uh, I was just kind of 
wondering what your thoughts were on counterbalancing that kind of thing, and um, I'll listen and take your answer uh, off the air. All right. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, no problem. Of course, if you're still on the line, I would ask you how much you paid for that advice that you got from the Wall Street Journal. I think it was only 60 bucks a year or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, probably double that yeah. now. But <laughs> okay. 65 cents a copy. Okay. All right. Well, you got your money's worth because that's about how much I value that, that type of advice. There is no such thing as a general advice about everybody. That's like saying one pair of suit pants fits everybody in the United States who's a male or a female. I mean, it's nonsense. No, there are some clients of mine which we go ahead and say, take your Social Security as soon as you can when you're 62 years old and you can actually invest that money in your mutual funds. If your mutual funds have averaged 8% a year for the last eight or nine years, and I say if they have, then you could play the game that way and invest the money that way and do much better than just delaying it as the uh, the, the the suggestion that you said that the Wall Street Journal has. And then by the same token, there are other people that we say, oh, absolutely, go ahead and leave it. Leave it there until you're 66 or until you're 70. There is no one case or set of advice at all but if you have a uh, mark do me a favor do you have a pen near you yes i do okay write down this number nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand do you got that nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand and also write down our website doug and linda.com and uh, when we finish this call, if you'd like to come on in and schedule a meeting, call that an 8727000 number, and we will meet with you face-to-face and find out what is best for you. Very good. Thank you for calling, Mark. I hope you enjoyed the show. Very good. Thank you, sir. Well, Doug, Deborah, many retirees seek to freeze up home equity by downsizing or relocating to a cheaper area. But if the savings don't amount to much or you want to stay put then folks should consider a reverse mortgage. Reverse mortgages allow people that are ages 62 and older to convert their home equity into cash. But instead of the homeowner writing a check to the bank each month, the bank pays the homeowner. The loan, then, when the loan is due with interest, when the borrower dies or he moves or sells the house... The fees on these loans have declined in recent years, transforming them from a product with a bad reputation to a viable source of money. What else should people know about reverse mortgages? Well, yeah, I think we have to come back to the basics. I I think they are an outstanding financial planning tool, especially for people who are, uh, I used to say land rich, cash poor. Here we're talking about people who are home rich, cash poor. So if we come back to what is a reverse mortgage loan, it was created over 25 years ago by act of Congress to help Americans age 62 and older convert a portion of their home equity into a tax-free income stream. The bank is paying you tax-free cash flow for the rest of your life if you want it. You don't pay monthly principal and interest as long as you live in the home. You pay off the loan typically, or the loan is paid off, only after the second spouse's death. So when the last borrower 
or eligible non-borrowing spouse leaves the home, that's when what the bank was paying you is due. And Doug, you can pretty much estimate that you'll be applying for about 60% of your home's value. So if you have a zero mortgage, you would probably be able to get about 60% of your home's equity. Right. The loan amount will come to you as a monthly check for either a fixed term of years, number of years, or for the rest of your lives. And the amount you receive is based on the age of the borrower. So let's say you're 65, uh, you're going to get less than if you were 75 in applying for the home, uh, the reverse mortgage loan. Yeah, so if you're looking for another source of income, or maybe you're an adult child trying to find a way to help your parents stay in their home as long as possible, this may be a solution. And a quite creative one. I like it very much. I've used it in the past for clients. Uh, Of course, you don't want to try this on your own. You need to consult with a certified financial planner like myself or like Deborah and find out how this might really benefit your situation. How much money could you get as an income stream from the home that you already own, that you already live in, you want to stay in? You know what I really like about the reverse mortgage loan is that it's almost like a pension-like stream of income. And it's this income stream that you can create from the equity of your home that could supplement Social Security income, just like our caller before asked, or could reduce the amount of money that you need to withdraw from monthly from your investments as monthly income. The more sources of income that you can have that are not taking withdrawals from either pre-retirement investment portfolios or after-tax retirement portfolios, you know, personal or IRA portfolios, that's less money that you have to take out of those portfolios. What we have seen through the years very often are elderly clients who they know that they that a whole bunch of what they've accumulated is tied up in the value of their home right. but it's a hard decision to sell the home right this lets you stay in the home live in the home don't make the decision and turn the home into a pension paying you right. a check and you never have to pay it back as long as you're alive as recently as Friday when we were investigating this for someone else we found that someone could receive uh, an income stream of between 19 uh, $1,900 and uh, I think it was like $50? No, it was $1,700 to $2,000 a month, depending on the variables on how they got this reverse mortgage loan. I think that was for a $500,000 home and a 65-year-old client, I think it was. Right. Turned out to be a little bit under 2000 a month for right, life. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So these are very, very useful. But there are other questions, there right, There really Deborah? are. And there's, there's stuff that might be on your mind when you hear reverse uh, mortgage loans. Here's some questions you might have. Like, for example, does the bank own your home? No. Reverse mortgage borrowers retain ownership and the loan is secured by a lien on the home. You don't give up the title. You don't give up ownership you're actually borrowing against the value of the home. Well, what if the loan amount ends up more than the value of the home? Who will be responsible for the loan? Well, these reverse mortgages, they're non-recourse loans. So if somehow the loan balance ends up meaning let's say you lived a very, very long time Mm -hmm. and bank just kept paying and paying. And then your wife lived even longer and banks kept paying and paying. And then at the end, what came to you was more than the value of the home then the bank cannot collect 
any more than the value of the home. That's good. They, they take the home. Now, what if you're a child and you're helping care for an elderly parent who wants to stay in their home? What if your question is, well, what happens to the family home? Well, that's nice also because the borrowers may leave the home to a loved one in their will, just like they normally would, and then it's up to the heirs. The heirs can go ahead and choose to sell the home, paying off the bank, or keep it and pay the bank on their own. So it's totally up to the heirs afterwards. So there's not even a loss of losing the family home place if they wanted to keep it. Decision is totally up to the heirs, and mom and pop got to go ahead and turn it into a pension for as long as they live. Really, really nice. Now, how do the kids repay the loan, or how do the parents repay the loan, and how much will they owe? Well, the loan is repaid once the last borrower has left the home. If the home is sold, and we've had that happen. I remember we had one happen Mm -hmm. back, Linda, must have been about 15 years ago. She eventually left the home. She had one of these uh, reverse mortgages set up. Yeah, and she she wanted, I think she wanted to replace some carpet or a roof, right? So Uh, that money was invaluable at the time. And then later when she wanted to pay it off and move out of the home, how did that happen? Well, she gave the choice to the bank. Oh. She gave the choice to the bank. The bank went ahead and sold the house and whatever is left over. Uh, went back to her. Okay. Now, what happens if your parents leave their home before receiving their full reverse mortgage loan? Let's say the opposite. They don't stay in the home very long at all. Okay. So then any part of the loan that hasn't yet been paid out as equity in the home and becomes part of the estate, the reverse mortgage loan becomes due. The heirs are given a reasonable time to either sell the home or keep the home. They also can keep the home by paying off the mortgage amount. Otherwise, the bank sells the home, proceeds first go to paying off the reverse mortgage, and the balance goes to the estate. So it seems like a really uh, viable option to create an income stream from something that you have, that you own, that is usually a big part of um, your wealth, and uh, not have it tied up and be able to use that equity for the rest of your life. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to dougandlinda.com. That's dougandlinda.com. Well, last night, just like Doug said, I was here uh, during the hour to see if anyone would call in with their own question. And uh, a lady called in, a woman called in, asking about insurance policies for her children. And her question was in regard to an insurance agent who had recommended that she buy whole life insurance policies for her children, who are now 13, 18, and 22. The agent told her that she should buy them because she she could use them like an IRA. He told her she could borrow from the kids' policies cash values later in life. Now, Doug, since I thought this is at least a question that comes up a few times, um, uh, or often enough, I thought I would ask you on air, what are your thoughts on life insurance policies for children? Well, personally, I think buying insurance for children is a misuse of insurance. You know, many years ago, I Linda says I used to be a little harsher. <laughs> <laughs> and I might have been guilty of saying, oh, I see, Mom, 
you're waiting for your son or daughter to die so you can collect money when they die. Right. And I guess that's a brutal way to say it, but that's that's the whole story well, behind right. insurance is supposed to pay off when someone dies. So yeah, I can see children wanting insurance on their parents, but no, parents buying insurance for their children, no. Life insurance is a contract between you and the insurance company that says when you die, the insurance company will pay your beneficiaries a lump sum. So if this lady here, as their mother, owned the policies on them, then she'd be paid only if they died. If her children die, yes, of course, she'll be devastated, but she's not going to miss any income they produce. They had... They didn't have any that you, any income that you were trying to insure. It goes the other way. And by the way, as far as being able to withdraw the cash value from an insurance policy, this is foolish because you've just reduced the death benefit and you've paid an insurance company for the right to borrow your money back. Yeah, seems really stupid. But at the same time, because people are approached to buy these kinds of policies, uh, if, you, if this is your question, definitely give us a call. Um, but don't confuse life insurance as an investment. It fills a valid need as income replacement, but it is not an investment. Correct. Life insurance is not where you invest. If you want to save or invest for your retirement, you need to do so outside of an insurance policy. Buying life insurance is to transfer the risk of loss of anyone's income. And that's what insurance is needed for. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. All right, before we go on, I'd like all of our listeners out there tonight to get a pen and write down six letters. Egadim. Six letters. E-G-A-D-I-M. Egadim. We're going to find out these six letters are extremely crucial in your relationship with anyone who is giving you advice about your money. All right, what is E? E stands for establish. Establish the relationship. When you meet with someone about anything in your finances, insurance, college education, your investments, your IRA, the first thing you should do is E, establish the relationship. To help them define what they're going to be able to provide for you? Right, by a contract. They should give you a contract outlining what their services are going to be for you and what you are going to pay. What are the fees that you'll pay for those services? Right. Establish the relationship. Then G, what is G? G stands for gather. Gather the data. Gather all the data, all the information about the client. So if you are the client and you're meeting with someone and you're just checking them out, number one, establish what is he or she going to do for you? How much are they going to charge you for it? Have it all into a contract. That's what we do at Lewis Financial Management. Number two, after E comes G. Make sure the person is going to gather all necessary information, whether it be portfolio summaries, list of all your investments, tax returns, whatever you've wanted that person to do, is he going to go ahead and gather all of the necessary information Right, gather first. the information that they're going to give advice on. That's right. That's yeah, right. They've got to have everything that you that you want advice on. That's the G of Egadim. Getting so all the facts, right? Getting all the facts down. So what's the A? The A is to analyze, 
there must be an analysis done. You want this person to analyze the data that they've gathered from you. All right. You want to make sure that it's not somebody shooting from the hip and just selling you a product. No, you want to make sure this person is going to analyze all of the information that you've brought them. All right, so now we have an E-G-A. Establish the relationship, gather the information, analyze the data. Now we need to talk about D. Here D is to develop a plan. Correct. Develop recommendations. That's right. There needs to be a plan. That's the development of a plan that's going to go ahead and meet the client's goals. It could be as simple. I want to save as much money to send my kids to college in eight years. Still, there needs to be a development of a plan. And this is not just a hypothetical format that an insurance company produces in their hypo software. And, and the fine print says, this is just uh, right. for illustrations <laughs> only. Oh, right, right. No, no. Develop a plan. That's the D. So we have E-G-A-D. Next, we want to I implement those recommendations. Here is, exa- and at this point, yes, there is something to be done. Implement is to invest. Yes, the problem is that most people go to see somebody and right away there's a sales pitch and a design and, 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 and let's implement. Let's do some investing right now. Mm-hmm. It's what Linda used to always uh, say. You'd say people sometimes they, they go for the jugular, close the deal and everything, <laughs> sign on the dotted line. Right, right. No, 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 no. You don't, never. Don't imp- fall for the pressure. That's right. You don't implement until before the implementation, there's been the development of a plan. And you don't do the development of a plan before there's been an analysis of the data. And you don't analyze the data until you gather the data. And you don't gather the data until you've established what is the relationship of this person that I'm working with. So we have an E-G-A-D-I. And, and we the- come to the last and the most important of the six letters for EGADIM, M. Monitor those recommendations. That's right. If this person that you're dealing with is not going to be regularly monitoring the implementation that has been done, whether it be on a quarterly basis, a monthly basis, an annual basis, if there's not going to be any monitoring, then you just got a sales pitch of somebody that sold you something and walked down the street to see the next person he or she was going to sell to. Right. So there'll be no you, relationship. That's that, it. That's the, right. the, 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 the security or the investment or whatever was sold and they're in bot and that's it. The end of it. And if during your first meeting... The E, if that's what came out of the meeting, that this is the relationship, if he or she tells you, well, I'm not going to charge you any for any advice. I'm just going to bring you different annuities to show you. And once you buy them, then that's basically the end of the, of the relationship. Uh, I'm always there for you if he says, know what is the ongoing process. And that's not financial planning, is no, it, that's a, is that's, it a, that's a sale. Matter of fact, that's what's behind this whole fiduciary rule is that uh, the, the, the powers to be feel that you shouldn't just be sold something. You should really be under uh, the, the stewardship of a proper advisor who is a fiduciary watching out for your benefits. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you for joining us. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Hi, Ray. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? My wife and I max out our, well, my 401k and her 403b. 
The question is, what do we do now? Okay. We have, we have money available to put somewhere else, but into what? Okay. So let's go through a little bit. First of all, how old are you, Ray? 53. You're 53. You are working, and, you, and your wife is about the same age? She is 48. We both work. All right. Two income. Any children living at home, Ray? They're all grown. Good. Okay. So we have two earners and both work for nonprofit entities with 403B retirement plans. Well, my wife has 403B. I work for local government with a 401K. Okay. All right. Um, So now tell me a little bit about what you've accumulated thus far in your retirement accounts. In your 401K, how much have you accumulated there? 195000 all right. And in your wife's 403B, how much has she accumulated? Just over 200000 Okay. Outside, do you have anything else like IRAs or anything else in t- retirement type of accounts? No. All right. So let's go to the non-retirement account aspect. Uh, you're... Your, what have you accumulated thus far in mutual funds or CDs or cash or anything outside? Uh, nothing along those lines. We have some land that we own, uh, about 85 acres that's paid for. All right. Um, Let's go over to income for a second then. What's your income? Uh, about 73000 And your wife's income? Uh, about 150000 all right, so about 225 total income. Do you have any idea what your expenses are now that the kids are gone? And don't include the 401k and 403b contributions because that's not an expense. Uh, it's actually very little. All the cars are paid for, the house is almost paid for, and we really have nothing other than that. We, we don't do cable or anything else like that. We try to be very frugal with the money. Okay. Um, Well, we're going to begin financial planning when you come to meet us. We're going to begin with just that point. We're going to send you a little worksheet to help you list what are your expenses, because to answer your question, we're going to start by saying, what is that surplus every month? And that surplus, whatever it is, that surplus, whatever it is, if it's uh, if you've got two twenty five and you don't have any real heavy debts and everything, uh, maybe you've got uh, five or six thousand a month surplus. Does that sound realistic? Well, that's very close. Yes. Okay. Maybe a little more. Okay. So let's say that you've got ten thousand a month surplus. All right. Okay. Whatever the number is, that number needs to be captured. Quote quote. Okay. Now, we're going to divide your expenses, first of all, into three categories. Those that are recurring, such as gasoline and eating out and groceries and those things. We call them the RMEs, the Recurring Monthly Expenses, RME. Then we're going to go ahead and take your non-recurring but fixed expenses, such as a fixed insurance payment, maybe semi-annual or quarterly or a real estate tax annual or something like that. It's not recurring every month. But it definitely happens. Okay. And then we're going to find out that all of the rest of your expenses are what we call discretionaries, like clothing, like travel, vacation, and gifts, and all those things. Right. The big thing we're going to focus on are your RMEs. We're going to take your RMEs and we're going to say your require your recurring monthly expenses against your recurring monthly income is going to leave, let's say, this surplus of maybe it's 15000 by the time we take out the discretionaries. All right. Okay. Now, what happens then is we then go over to your 401k. 
Do you have any idea how many and what types of investments are over there? That you're invested in. I, I really, I've, I've looked at it. I don't completely understand it. All right. It, it, uh, I have them kind of managing it because I don't understand. Okay. Well, that's that's that that's very much like uh, the, the the chicken that says, "I'm really going to let the wolf make all the decisions and everything because I trust him." Okay. <laughs> so, so we'll get in front so, of that one too. Yeah, we'll get in front of that one for sure. <laughs> we will definitely tell you whether you're in a growth and income fund or a growth fund, a bond fund, a junk bond fund. What you're in, and number two, we're going to tell you what you should be in, how to go ahead and uh, and properly allocate your 401k. I presume your answer is the same for your wife's 403b? Pretty much, yes. All right. She likes to manage it. Okay. All right. So uh, when we say that, once you and I or Deborah and you or whoever that you're meeting with at my office, we're going to go ahead and break it into types of investments. Growth and income okay. funds, growth funds, etc. The reason we're going to do this is we're going to come and build a third portfolio, which is what's behind your question. And that third portfolio is going to be structured in such a way that it doesn't duplicate anything in the other two. A couple of things we're not going to put in there for sure. We're not going to recommend anything like an annuity. We think annuities are... Uh, one of the big no-nos today. They're insurance products that uh, we do not feel are proper for investments. Okay? Okay. All right. Number two, we're probably not going to recommend any ETFs. ETFs look like they are uh, managed mutual funds, but they're really, they're trading on the stock exchange, so it's more like a gamble. Okay. We're going to go ahead and structure a portfolio for you that is conservatively managed conservatively structured, diversified, and fits so that you have basically one pair of pants with three pockets, your 401k pocket, her 403b pocket, and yours other. Now, if you're starting with about two seven, uh, two ninety five, uh, 395 on your side, on, your, on, your, on those two pockets. Okay. And then if we're going to put in uh, 10 or 15,000 a month, then we're going to rapidly see... By the way, once we structure it like that, we're then going to do some proformas, some modeling. We're going to use some assumptions where it will be in two years, in four years, in eight years. Because all this hard work, I'm guessing, Ray, was ultimately to answer the question, when can we retire? Well, and that's a big point because I'm actually law enforcement and I am eligible for full retirement in 23 months. Wow. So... <laughs> That's, that's excellent. What do you do after that? Okay. Uh, All right. Well, that's very good because I'm going to, the first thing that we ask the clients in the office when they come to meet with us is what are the goals in front of us? The second question, of course, as we get into the data gathering, we are, of course, I just mentioned the living expenses are one of the first things we gather in the way of data. But the goal, if it's two years, then we're going to test to see. Are you able? Are you able to go ahead uh, and become financially independent with only one income? And and so there are a lot of ways to slice it. Uh, we've had clients. We've had so many of these. We've done through the years. Uh, some say, "Well, I know I'm too young to sit back and just 
do nothing or play golf and everything. I think I'll right. try and do something else. Maybe maybe you've thought about uh, a position uh, at one of the uh, community colleges teaching uh, uh, law enforcement or something. We, we, we have all kinds of clients, uh, ideas like that, which once right. they find out that they don't need to make the income that they're making, they want me to figure out for them what is the amount that they could take at a lower paying job, but a more fulfilling job. when they A job just for satisfaction. A job for satisfaction. Yeah. Right. Now, Ray, you might ask, well, what's the next step? The next step definitely is, you know, the engineer um, has uh, uh, gotten your number and will connect. But the next step is really this gathering of information so that we can make this first appointment. And that's what most people want to know. Well, well what do we need? So... Doug or Linda, do you have a, a good encapsulation of some of the yeah, well, five things Yeah, let me just walk you through Ray's it real need quickly to because mm-hmm. we were prepared, actually, because somebody had said, how do I get started with Lewis Financial Management? So we had already come up with a little bit of a, of a pro forma we were going to read on the air tonight anyway. So it all begins with a call to our office at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. And, you know, Ray, this is Linda. Um you and your wife may have some specific questions about your situation that you need answered. And uh, so whatever those questions are, go ahead and write them down. And what we'll need for the meeting, we'll, we'll send you uh, a checklist. But uh, we're going to need a list of your assets and liabilities. We'll look at your projected income. So we'll look at a pay stub. And then we'll look at a list of your expenses. And we'll look at uh, what are your uh, what are you taking out for taxes? We can pull that from your pay stub as well. Right. And we'll need a copy of your most current tax returns. So okay. we'll you know, and, and I'll have all that detailed on the letter. But at that meeting, uh, so what we're going to do is we'll take this information, we'll produce reports that we'll use at your initial financial advisory co- consultation. And And at that meeting. Right. And at that meeting, we will then identify the questions that you want to get answered. We will give you our advice on how to accomplish each of your goals. We will give you our objective professional advice. When you make that appointment to see us, it really is to make an appointment to get started. Because you then have a plan and a planner to work with. And you will then know that you're going to be accomplishing the goals. And we're with you all the way. And, and that is what and we And all tell. the way can be so subjective. I mean, that's what ends up being the real goal of financial planning, Ray, is that you have someone who is on your side, on uh, involved in all these these questions and answers and, and solving these problems of, of, am I prepared? Will I be prepared? And if I'm truly prepared, prepared what kind of flexibility do I have? Okay. So it sounds like we've covered a lot here, but it sounds like you've got a lot you, on Ray. your yeah. plate, 23 months. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I think we can get a lot done, too. Sounds great. Anything else before we let you go, Ray? That's it. Okay, well, great. Looking and forward. I want to say thank you for your service. We appreciate you guys so much, and uh, we thank really enjoyed much. this call. I did too, and I look forward to to meeting with y'all. All All right. Thanks, Ray. You and your wife and your family have a great week. Thank you. All right. Good evening. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family 
on News Radio 680 WPTF. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Do I need to pull my required minimum distributions from all of my IRA holdings? No, you don't. To calculate your RMDs, you look back to the balance for each of your accounts as of the previous year end. If you own three separate traditional IRAs, for example, one of those RMDs may be at $4,000 and another one with a $1,000 RMD and one with a 3500 RMD, then you'd need to take the 8500 in total. But the way we do it, and the IRS doesn't care where you get it from. They just want their 8500 Right. But the way we do it is to combine the IRAs under one custodial account so that there's only one to go ahead and take as an RMD. And the reason to have that one IRA is for other reasons like rebalancing and portfolio safety. Right. So imagine you had those three IRAs. You're now having to apply that application to find out what the required minimum distribution for all three would be. That's right. Instead, you can simplify your life. You can maximize your investment options within one larger portfolio. And like I was hinting at a moment ago, you can apply a different technique, which is looking at the required minimum distribution for the year as a monthly income that would be set up for the entire year's RMD. Very smart, Deborah. especially for those clients that don't need to spend it. They now get to dollar cost average into the other portfolio. And now the personal portfolio is being added to as if it was another uh, income stream. Wonderful. I think that's an invaluable strategy, isn't it? Because, you know, a lot of folks, many of our clients that we have worked with over the year, and to all of our listeners, if, if this is a similar situation that that you might have, but many of our clients have accumulated over their lifetime. And as they approach 70 and a half, we have been making recommendations as, you know, when we're doing the cash flow planning, we know that when 70 and a half comes, they're going to have that extra income that they really don't need because they right. have... Two portfolios already, where they're there, where they're already getting income. So and, they, right. yeah, they, 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 so they always ask us, is there any way that I can leave it in the IRA to accumulate? Of course, the answer is no, but we can turn the no into a yes by sending it straight over to the other portfolio. Right. I mean, it's it's just a beautiful technique, and especially if, and you know, in many scenarios, uh, especially if people already had um, pensions or both spouses worked, and we have two social securities and a pension. You might have enough recurring income to not ever need to take from either portfolio. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, you know, talking about retirement, what if you're funding uh, uh, 40 years of retirement? Yeah, a new study has just concluded that your odds of living to be 100 of becoming a centenarian may be improving. Wow. Now, if you do live to 100, will your money last as long as you do? There are some financial steps to help you maintain your retirement savings and income. Number one, hire and work with a certified financial planner to know where you are now so that outliving your money is not a concern later. Number two, keep investing in stocks. 
Standard & Poor's 500 stock index does not automatically gain 10% or more each year, but it certainly has the potential to do so. Bonds are not producing anything close to double-digit returns. Some bonds are even failing to keep up with the current inflation rate. Turning away from equity or stock investments in retirement may seriously hinder the growth of your savings and your level of income. So what's the right mix? Call me, Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, or Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. That's what we do. We help clients know if they've got the right mix. A third technique, arrange some kind of pension-like income. If you can retire with a pension, great. If not, you may want other income streams besides Social Security, and these can be distributions from your investment accounts. If you've accumulated for a lifetime and now you need it and you need your investments to pay out, you've got to work with someone, a certified financial planner, to create an income stream that works for you. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Hi, Angela. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Thank you so much for the service you provide to our community. You're welcome. uh, And the good information you uh, put out there. I wanted to ask um, if I... Uh, not if I need it. I do need an executor to a will, not a family member. And I was wondering if your company does that, an independent executor, uh, or if not, who, where I might find one, who I could get to do that, um, and would I have to have an attorney, or can it be... Um, I know I have to have an attorney to make one up or I can make my own, but should it be an attorney or can certified financial planner? Uh, Okay. All right. So, so the first question that you're asking is, do we provide this service as comprehensive financial planners? And the answer is yes. Now let's go a little further. Okay. Uh, the, you're looking for estate documents and an executor to your own will or for whose will? My own. For your own will. All right. So, the the how old are you, by the way, Angela? Fifty. All right. You're fifty years old. Are you married or single? Sing, uh, married. All right. Married. And any children living at home? No. Okay. It's just you and your husband. And how is your husband? Old? How old your How old your husband? Uh, approximately the same age. All right. Are you both fifty? Now, what about your assets? Do you? How much do you have? For example, as an estate. This depends. This will answer some of the questions on the documents that you want. Um, now, would that be comprehensive? All, all liquid. All right. Well, let's take them in. Let's take them in pieces. First of all, what do you? What's the value of your home? Uh, one hundred and fifty. All right, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Your home, and then all investments that are not in retirement plans. Oh boy! Like uh, mutual funds, uh, approximately, of course. I'm going to have to give you the whole number okay. of investments, and I'm going to ha- I'm going to say in the ballpark of three hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, all right. Now, as far as the documents you need for estate, first of all, the good news is you do not have to worry about any estate taxes, so you're okay there. However, you do need to have either a will, which would require an executor. Or a, rev- a revocable living trust, which would not require an executor. What we do, it, at okay, least, I do, I do already have a will. Are you have a will now? Who is the executor of your will right now? Someone who may not 
be able to do it okay. in the future. And I'm looking towards yes. the future. Okay. All right. Uh, what you may want to do and what we will do in our office, we will go ahead and listen to all the personal stuff that you can't tell me on the air, which is obvious. Okay. And then we will help you decide who should be the best executor for you. For example, let me give you a simple uh, illustration. Let's say that you are better suited for a revocable living trust because maybe there's a medical condition that could happen in the future, a stroke for either you or your husband. Okay, if that's the case, then the will that you have alongside of this trust is a simple little one page pour over will, which uh, basically the executor does nothing then because there's nothing for the executor to do. Okay, and and then it's up to the trustee. We like you to keep control as much as possible in your own hands or family members. So I. if it, it could be a brother, a sister, it could be a child, it can be, you can use a corporate executor or a corporate trustee. We think that's a waste of money sometimes. There are some cases where families have had very um, uh, unusual situations and uh, we have it, we've advised them, all right, we can get a corporate one for you, but it's a matter of cost. It I'd really like, is, because yeah. Yeah, at, at the end of the day, the, the, the job of the executor is going to be much more administrative than anything else. The executor and, it simply follows from the instructions from the, the grave, you yeah. might say. And, and you're, so you're, you're accounting to the court uh, what what will um, uh, be processed through. For example, what does you know what at, will at be your, distributed? Mm-hmm. So you know, so a, as the executor, the 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 job therein can be something that someone who's close enough to you or able to function doing that can do it without the cost. Now, the other question you ask is. Uh, does it have to be an attorney? No, actually, we, we almost never recommend an attorney be the executor. Uh, that is not, in my opinion, that's that's not a good use of money. Is the current document to naming each other, you and your spouse, as executor, and one priest deceases the other, and then... No. No. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, Once you... Yeah, write, down, write down our phone number, Angela. Write down 919... Eight seven two seven zero zero zero. That's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. And call us uh, at tomorrow. The, yeah, tomorrow, so I, can, I can give you and, specifics. And Deborah will go ahead and schedule a meeting to get together with you and go over exactly what you should have. The executor is one piece of it, but you need to think about who's going to have the power of attorney, a durable power of attorney or a non-durable power of attorney, a health care power of attorney, a living will. So uh, we can help you with all of it. Oh, good. Okay. Well, Angela, we'll talk about the details and um, I'll give you the more um, complete answer in regard to the executor. Remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis family.